Welcome to Walking with God, Pat Barry and Jeff Quinto's podcast, where Pat and Jeff talk about their walk with Christ. My name is Pat Barry. And my name is Jeff Quinto. And Pat and I get together about every two weeks and we talk about our walk with Christ in this podcast. Now, what are we talking about today, Pat? I am. I am? What does I that am. mean? Well, exactly. You are. I know you are. I, I am. It's a profound statement that God makes in the Old Testament, but uh, when he was talking to Moses, uh, Moses asked God who he says he is, and he says, I am who I am. And I looked at that and I thought, well, that's very profound, but just what exactly does it mean? So so there you go, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for a softball question, and instead we get this. This is a serious question. It's a serious and important question, actually. It's a question that each of us asks ourselves when we read this Exodus 3, and we read that Moses is asking God to name himself because in their world, gods have names, and of course he ought to have a name, and also names are important. And so the name is sort of an indication of who you are. You know that uh, Jacob's name changed to Israel. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Israel means struggles with God. So after he struggled with God, that is, you'll remember Jacob's ladder and the fighting all night with the, uh, the angel of the Lord, they changed his name. They changed Abram's name to Abraham as well. So names are very, very important mm-hmm. in the ancient world. So Moses wants to be able to tell the people of Israel... What is the name of this God, this one true God? What's his name? I am. I am who I am. Wow. Yeah. So that's, uh, um, that is profound, and it, profound in a way that we don't fully understand. I mean, I am who I am. Now, who is this God? Now, it's hard to understand this name, this name, which was in Hebrew is Yahweh. So God says Yahweh, which is a, the Hebrew consonants for I am who I am, and it's repeated throughout the Bible, and some Bibles as Yahweh, and in some as the Lord. And so we, we render this as the Lord in the Bible, but the fact is that it's really Yahweh, and so we're calling Yahweh the Lord. It's a simpler thing to do, but I am who I am, such a confusing thing, isn't it? It is. And there's there's certain things that I am convinced human beings were not supposed to understand. It's just not, it's not something that we could comprehend, no matter how much I try to wrap my mind around this. Uh, well, what, what does that mean? He, he is who he is. Well, what does that mean? He just is. He, he just, just is. is. Yeah. Well, well, again, what does that mean? He's, he's sort of everything and everywhere, I, I suppose, right? He is everything and everywhere. And a way to think of him that, that, that worked for me, actually, as it relates to this, I am who I am, is saying is that God is self-evident um, and not dependent on anything. God is, in fact, the uncaused cause. So everything in the universe has a cause, right? Everything has a cause. There's something before it. There's a cause before it. But God, instead, I am who I am. God is the uncaused cause. He is, he will be, and he was. He's all of these things. He always was. Always was. Always is. Always will be. <laughs> now, yes. can we move on to the next thing now? We all understand I, that perfectly? <laughs> exactly. Clear as mud. Clear as mud. You know, and it, it's, it's interesting It's because you can say this stuff and uh, you understand, okay, yeah, he always was. He, he had no beginning. He, he has no end. Mm-hmm. He is all-encompassing. He is everywhere. And it makes sense, but it, it doesn't make sense. Does that 
Am I being am I being yeah. clear as mud yeah. there? So so the in the ancient world, the name was very important. What your name was described to you, as we just said it a minute ago, from Abram going to Abraham, from Jacob going to um, Israel, the names were important. Moses came back and wanted to know what he could call God when he was describing God to the, the people of Israel. And the reality is that I am who I am today for us is is not completely satisfying. We know it is rendered as the Lord, and we're happy with that, but the I am who I am, perhaps in a way, more important is God's character. Mm-hmm. In other words, God is, this is his name. What is his character? And we read now from Exodus 34, and I should tell you that theologians will, will say that this what I'm about to read is the central theme of the Old Testament. It is God's description of his own character, of his own name. And so we start out at the, Moses was up on the mountain and God came to him. God, the Lord, descended in the cloud and stood with him there, him being, of course, Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequities and transgressions and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So this is God's self-description. Now we got to remember that this was spoken to, this was heard by ancient Hebrews who had a different way of thinking. They had a way of thinking that in many ways, to me, is more sophisticated than our way of thinking. When we read this, we read this as if we're reading the newspaper or some sort of a a history book, and we don't realize that it's much more nuanced than that. So let's look at this God. This is his name, him describing himself. He proclaims, the Lord of the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, but no means clearing the guilty. So we start with the first part of it. This is God's self-description. He's describing himself as having a steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequities and transgressions and sins, but at the same time, not clearing the guilty. And here he goes on, and this is often confusing for us, but it isn't really, it wouldn't have been so confusing to the ancient Hebrews. And visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third or fourth generation. So we have this this comparison, if you will. An ancient Hebrew would have heard this. Okay, he's keeping steadfast love for thousands, and he's only judging the, as guilty a few generations. And so this is meant to be seen as that. And, the of course, later in the Bible it says that the, the children will not uh, be punished for the sins of the parents. And so it isn't meant about that. It's meant to show this, this God who is, has steadfast love for thousands and forgiving inequity to the third and fourth generation. So what we have is this God as showing us as a comparison, that he's showing love and faithfulness, steadfast love for thousands, and, forgive, and forgiving inequity and transgression and sin to all these people, but by no means clearing the guilty, also being a God of judgment, but a God of judgment only visiting the inequity onto the children, the children's children of the third or fourth generation. So can you see the comparison? The point of this is this comparison, as would have been heard by the ancient Hebrews, is yes, he's a God who is forgiving, forgiving to thousands, but also a God of judgment. The judgment being a lesser part of this, but an important part as well. Well, right, and it's we we've talked about this in, in other uh, in other podcasts that we've done. How there's uh, there's there's needs to be justice, and God is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. I think this is more of what somebody can 
like myself, could sink their teeth into saying, okay, now I'm getting a, a much better idea rather than I am what I am. And that's, I, I understand that, you know, he is everything and this is the, the, the best way maybe he can describe to human beings that we can understand it. But when I see this, uh, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love, um, but also having uh, a part of him that, hey, I'm a loving God, I'm a patient God, I'm, I'm a forgiving God, but there comes a point in time where justice justice does need to be served because he is such a loving, faithful, pure God. This to me, now I'm getting a much better picture of, of what God is rather than I am what I am. It's, it's interesting when you say that, um, you know, the ancient Hebrews uh, think differently than, than we do. And uh, I know that's something that uh, you taught me in a little class called the Bethel Bible Series. Really? The Bethel Bible Series? Did you take the Bethel Bible Series? I did take the Bethel Bible Series. Was it series. good for you? Was it, it something was important? very good for me. It was life-changing, and it, um, it has stuck with me. Yes. Well, you know, I'm, there's a little bit of an advertisement here. I'm the executive director of the Bethel Bible Series, the one that he just mentioned, actually. And the interesting thing about that is that, particularly when I first started, I had people coming to me literally every week and saying the Bethel Series changed my life. Of course, the Bethel series doesn't change life. It's the Bible understood that changes lives. And I heard it so many times that like when people were, were telling me the Bethel series changed their life, I'd like, in, in, in my head only, happily, I would, I would be thinking, oh, yeah, here we go again. The Bethel series changed your life. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I know, I got it. I heard that before. Um, and, and maybe that speaks to my, my, the, my flaws that I would even think that, even begin to think that. But it's the truth. It changes lives. The Bible understood changes lives because it's what it isn't, it isn't some newspaper that we're reading. So when we read this, this is a, these, both of these, both the God's naming himself as I am who I am. And here we have the central theme of the Old Testament, God's proclamation of his character in Exodus 34. These, these are complicated for us. It's not like reading a newspaper. It's not being fed to us so easily. We need to think about it. Right. And it takes some time and effort to come up with what this is. But once you discover it, you realize this God is so full and so complete, much more than what you think on the surface. And once you go beyond the surface, you've, you've captured something important for your whole life. And that's why people say the Bethel series, it really changes my life. It's really the Bible understood that changes people's lives. Absolutely. And going along with this statement, once you start to, you know, once you see something, when you're blind and you, you your eyes start to get open to something, and once you see it, there's a lot of things. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. And I, I think that's the way it works with understanding the Bible and understanding how God works in the world. Because once your eyes start to get opened, you literally start to see God everywhere. Mm-hmm. You can see you can see how, how he's in nature. You can see how he's, he's in your daily life. Uh, and it is a pretty amazing thing, but it has to, you know, it has to start with that understanding uh, of the word, which is why um, I wanted to talk about the I am statement, because I think it is, it really is a great statement and very profound. And, um, you know, it, it, once you understand it, it can be very helpful to set you on a, on a path. Yeah. Now, this is a, the first part of what Pat and I intend to do as a two-part series. The second part will be the I am statements of Jesus in the New Testament. We're not going to talk about those today. We'll talk about those in the next podcast. But today we're talking about just the idea of I am and the idea of God's character as displayed in the Old Testament. Because, you know, so many people think when they read the Bible, they see this vengeful God 
in the Old Testament and this kind God in the New Testament. And if you were given a choice between the vengeful God and the and the kind God, of course you'd choose the kind God. Of I course. Mean, who wouldn't? I mean, I would. But the reality is it's the same God throughout. And as God's self-description here, he's holding steadfast love and mercy for thousands. And that's who this God is throughout the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, but throughout the whole entire Bible. So the Bible understood is what changes lives. And this is part of that. And the I am statements that God makes, the God's self-description, when Moses is asking for, give me a name, he gives him a name, and it's more complicated than we'd like it to be. We'd like his name to be, you know, just make sense, right? Well, we would, and it is more complicated, but... You know, this isn't something that that you can get when you're when you're reading uh, scripture, especially with with um, passages like this. This isn't something you can just get in five minutes. Uh, you know, this is something that takes days and weeks and months and years and years and years of of studying. I know when when Paul was when he was knocked off his off his uh, donkey on on the road to Emmaus. And after his conversion, he was he was in alone for years and years and years studying the word, right, and getting prepared. This is something that I think this is part of, of our walk that we've talked about before. This is a lifetime thing. And just because you don't understand something today doesn't mean you won't understand it tomorrow, but you have to keep searching. And it's little little bits that you you, you keep understanding each time you open the Bible, each time you pray, each time you you look at, at things, um, you'll you might see something different. But it's it's one of those things where if you are reading the Bible and, and it's it's not coming together, just keep just keep praying, keep reading, because this is a long term thing. This isn't this isn't a short term thing. It's it's something that takes, like I said, days and weeks and months and, and years of your life. Yeah, but it's worthy because as you Absolutely. get, the more you know, the more you learn, the more God shows Himself to you. It shows Himself in your life. You know, this God of ours is not some abstract thing. This God is in your life. It's in your life in all kinds of ways and things. And you know, there's a. The, I have this belief that the best way to have a life is to start off every day before you get out of bed in prayer, and to end every day as you're about to go to sleep in prayer. And of course, Paul says, "Pray without ceasing." Praying throughout the day as well, but certainly bookending the day, prayer to start, prayer to finish. A, a great uh, friend of mine, retired pastor Scott Berkeley, was in the seminary, in Princeton Seminary, and he had a, a seminary professor that told him about answered prayers. And he said, answered prayers could seem to be coincidences, except when the prayers stop, so do the coincidences. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And see, I've seen that in my That's life. Good. I've seen that in my life, good things happening in my life, being pointed in a direction. Not so much like I'm winning a lottery, you know, I get a lottery ticket that's a winner, or something like much more, actually much more important than that. I see my life being shaped when I'm paying attention to God, when I'm in prayer, when I'm in the Word, and I'm leaning into the Holy Spirit. The decisions I make are different. One of the reasons for prayer, I believe, in making decisions is it causes you to hesitate. You know, I can make decisions. You know, I can tell you, you know, we want to be, we want to be decision makers, right? That's what we want to be. We want to make quick, quick, decisive decisions. That's the sign of a good leader. Well, maybe, but this, the sign to me of a smart person is someone who is considerate, who thinks about things, and stopping before we do anything and praying about it is a way to slow things down and think about what's really the best thing for all concerned. Now, that's important, not just for me. 
So the, the thought is, what's the best thing for all concerned? including me, of course, but for the world, what would be a better decision? And so we, we do that, and we're, we're modeling God in a way when we do that. So this whole thing of searching the, the Scripture and coming up with things that are, that are complicated is good because we can think about it, we can pray about it, we can pray about what does this mean for me. But to me, God is in my life. He's in my life because I've been concentrating on this for some time. I didn't pick it up the first day, and we won't pick up this the first day. We'll talk about right. it again and again. Right. And it'll be more meaningful as we move forward. Yes, absolutely. And if you want to be, you know, there you, there was a time, uh, I was going to say, if you want to be kind of cult, countercultural and uh, a, a rebel these days, mm-hmm. um, this is what you do. You pick up a Bible, and you are a believing Christian. I And it, that's, I'm not... It, it sounds funny. It's not, it's not funny. It's kind of sad at this point that that being a Christian is actually getting to the point where it's countercultural. <laughs> because what you just talked about, what's best for everybody, that is countercultural. Because you know when you do in in business, in business the I guess the the instinct is to do what's best for you. However, we've both been men of business, and I've always discovered the best the best deals, the the best things, the the, th- the things that work out best is what is best for everyone concerned. It because it's long term. It's long term benefit. It's relationships and it's continuing business. If you go what's just best for you, that might be good for that day. But the following week and the following month, probably not so good. And in the long term, it's not going to be as, as good for you. So uh what Jeff was talking about, that's a that would be a a, a great thing uh, to do. And it's one of these, it's one of these things when you keep in mind that, uh, I am who I am. Well, if God is all encompassing and God is everywhere, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Even though no one saw what you did, God saw it. Yeah. God saw, I like to think of this as, uh, we live our lives with an audience of one. Lots of people could be looking. Nobody could be looking. God is looking. That's the most important. And as I realize we're talking about this idea of what's best for everyone, it's really a lovely thing, as you, mm-hmm. as you obviously picked up on that. It is a lovely thing. And in business, counter to what you might think, it ends up having a better longer-term outlook. And people are so focused on the short term. You know, we have to do this right now because right now is the only thing that matters. Well, right now doesn't the only thing that matters. You know, we have a, a long life. We have, a, we have a, a, a legacy that we are building by our lives. And that legacy will be a different legacy if we're we're trying to do the best we can for everyone involved. And if that's the that's the central theme of what we're doing in whatever we do, whether it be business or home life or our community, not only will we be better off, but the world will be better off. And we'd be better modeling this God, this God that we ask to forgive us, this God that says he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequities and transgressions and sin. That's the God we want. We, we need to model that in the way we operate in the world. And if we do, the world will be a different place. Yes, it will. And uh, once we get together next time, it'll be the, uh, the I am statements of, of, of Jesus, where this comes full circle. So just, just <laughs> hang with us here. Trust us. It will, it will come full circle because that's the other thing that I, that I noticed with this I am statement, where we, we're not going to leave you hanging with I am as I am, although this will give you something to ponder for a little while. 
Yeah, it will. And pun, and for us, actually, for yeah. us to pun. The beauty of this podcast is that I get to think about these things that we talk about at great length, and then we talk about them and, and play off of each other. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Thank you very much, Pat. You know, Pat and I started this with an idea. The idea was from C.S. Lewis, a statement that Christianity of false is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. See, that's the truth of Christianity. We are not meant to be spectators to Christianity. We are meant to be participants because it is, in fact, if it's true, which I know that it is, it's of infinite importance. The one thing that it will not be is moderately important. So if if your Christianity is moderately important, you should know that that's not the way home. That's not the way to get where you want to go. The way your life can be different is if you realize that it is true and it is therefore infinitely important. Will you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for being the God who is, who was, and is, and will be. Lord, we love you for who you are, for who you are to us, the forgiving nature that you are in your very being, forgiving us for our transgressions, but not overlooking everything we do, not not just setting aside the things we do that are sinful, that we shouldn't do, helping us to understand that we can do better. And Lord, may we do better. May we model you in everything we do. In Jesus' holy and mighty, mighty name, amen. Amen.